0: God has unexpected ways of opening our eyes to His grace.
1: For Peter, it meant getting over some deeply ingrained traditions.
0: So how has God opened your eyes? Hello, I'm Woodrow Kroll. I'm Tammy Weisert. And this is Back to the Bible.
1: Welcome to our series on the Book of Acts. Now Wood, in our study today, Peter is about to see and be part of something new. Oh,
0: yes he is. Yesterday we saw God challenge him regarding his traditions. Now Peter has to practice what he's learned, that God's grace reaches to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews.
1: Oh, the unclean as well as the chosen people. (laughs) And that's
0: good news for all of us today.
1: Well, let's pick up today's Back to the Bible study in the book of Acts chapters 10 and 11. Here's Dr. Kroll.
0: We arrive in our study of the book of Acts now to Acts chapter 10 to the last half of Acts chapter 10, beginning at about verse 30. When Peter arrives in the city of uh, Caesarea, we learn from verses 25 and 26 that Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. Uh, Let me just read those verses. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 25. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Cornelius sees Peter as the the doorway to God's grace. Cornelius, as a Gentile, sees Peter as the on-road to the grace of God in his life. And he's so uh, he's so overwhelmed by the fact that Peter has come to minister to him, a Gentile, that he falls at Peter's feet and he begins to worship Peter. And Peter can't allow that to happen. And neither can you, nor can I. Let's pick up the story at verse 30, Acts chapter 10. We want to see something about God's grace in Cornelius's life here. Acts chapter 10, verse 30. Let me just read a couple of verses. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, dazzling clothes is the word there, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Now, you see who the power player is here. Cornelius clearly understands that it was God who asked him to get Peter to come. It was God who impressed upon Peter the need to go 32 miles to the north to meet a Gentile. And now he says, we're all present here waiting to hear the things that God has commanded you to say. In other words, this is a theological way of saying, I'm all ears, Peter. Say on. Now, you can pretty well guess at this point it's going to take quite a little bit to have Peter say anything, right? Well, not at all. I mean, Peter is ready to say anything at any time, and that's exactly what he does. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, Can you just kind of read uh, between the lines there? He's saying, in principle, I understand that God shows no partiality. But he's a Jew, and what he understands in principle, he doesn't always see in practice, right? So he says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, Peter's words, that God doesn't show any partiality. He, he knows that in every nation there are people who fear God. They fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not a part of the covenant of Israel. Uh, they're not a part of uh, the family of the Jewish people. They just believe that there is one God, and that one God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's a pretty widely understood concept in the New Testament, that while God is the God of Israel, His grace extends well beyond Israel. And because God doesn't discriminate on the basis of race or the basis of economics or the basis of gender, uh, He says, my people ought not discriminate on those bases either. So uh, essentially, He's teaching Peter here a lesson in non-discrimination. Just because Cornelius is not Jewish... Just because he doesn't live in Jerusalem doesn't mean he can't experience and enjoy the grace of God in his own life. Well, something unique happens. We've talked about this again and again and again. You're going to see it there beginning at verse 44. Look at this, chapter 10, verse 44. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have just received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then they ask him to stay a few days. Peter recognizes they have believed. He recognizes the Holy Spirit of God has come upon them, and he says, all right, baptism. Is there any water nearby that we can baptize? Why? Because this is the open symbol of belief in Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to see this all the way through the book of Acts. Belief, presence of God's Spirit, baptism. And from that point on, it's just the rest of their life in serving the Lord. Okay, so what's the power point we learn from the life of Cornelius here? I think it is this. It's important for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to remember that while God's door to himself is small and the path to him is narrow, there's a wideness in God's mercy that is as big as the universe itself. So you can live in Texas, and God can save you. You can live in Tajikistan, and God can save you. You can live in Uruguay, and God can save you. Or Uzbekistan, and God can save you. You can even be West Virginian and God can save
1: you. When you're in Israel, you like to watch people have those aha moments, mm. those moments when the places they've read about in the Bible come alive for them. But here's my question. Do you still have aha
0: moments? (laughs) Well, I do. You know, since 1964, I've tried the waters of the Dead Sea. And I have to tell you, this year, while swimming in the Dead Sea, it just dawned on me that the reason the Dead Sea is dead is because it constantly takes in, but it never gives out. There's no outlet for it. And that reminds me of the Christian life. We can't just take in God's word and not give it out. That was my aha moment Hmm. this year.
1: All right. So there's always something new to experience.
0: And if you haven't experienced it before, this could be your year.
1: To find out more about our journey to Israel coming up in September, go to backtothebible.org. That's backtothebible.org. Well, as we move into Acts chapter 11, we'll see the grace of God in Peter's life. And we'll see what it teaches him. Here again is Dr. Kroll.
0: Now, most Jewish believers thought that God offered salvation only to the Jews because he was the God of the Jews. He had given the law to the Jews. And there was a group in Jerusalem who believed that all Gentiles could be saved, but they could only be saved by adopting all the practices of the Jews. In other words... Essentially, in order to be a Christian, you had to become Jewish first. So if you were not Jewish, you had to at least do all the things the Jewish law required you to do, and that would be example of uh, why God would save you, because you were doing the Jewish law. Now, for you who are Gentiles, that may sound a little silly to you, but when you read Acts chapter 11 you find out it made a great deal of sense to the Jewish people. Let's read just a few verses, Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. All right, so he comes back from Caesarea on the coast. He ascends the mountains to Jerusalem, and immediately his Jewish compadres nail him. They say, hey, we heard you ate with a Gentile. And Jewish law, of course, that's a no-no. You, you just don't eat with Gentiles because they're not clean people. I don't mean, aren't you glad you used dial? Don't you wish everyone did? I mean, they aren't ceremonially clean. Now, the dietary laws that God gave to the people of Israel were laws of cleanness, and, and it's, it's not so much that the dietary laws were designed to provide a healthy diet for them. It's that God wanted to distinguish his people, the Jewish people, from the rest of people, the rest of the world. So he told the Jewish people, uh, be holy because I am holy, and, and the dietary laws were designed specifically to help the Jews be different, think different, look different, even eat differently from the way the rest of the world ate. At any rate, Peter understands the dietary laws. God has opened the door to change those dietary laws through the vision of the great sheet that he had. Now, Peter stays a few days. He goes back to Jerusalem. When he gets back to Jerusalem, the Jews nail him immediately because he has eaten with Cornelius And they know Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. Let's find out, though, what happens in the way that Peter recounts to these Jews what happened to him in um, Caesarea. You'll find his account at verse 4 in Acts chapter 11 all the way down to verse 16. He is simply explaining to the Jews of Jerusalem what happened when he was called by God to go to Cornelius in the city of Caesarea. However, uh, Peter does have a conclusion to all this. Uh, Peter doesn't ever just give history. He always has to comment on history. And you notice his conclusion, his comment at verse 17. After he gives an account of what happened when he met Cornelius, this is what he says. If, therefore, God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave us, When we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? Now, that brings us to the seminal point, I think, of the book of Acts. The gift that he refers to is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And basically, he is saying, what binds us together is that both Jews and Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit of God upon faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. What separates us is our tradition. What separates us is our ethnicity. What separates us is our culture. And those are the same thing that separate people in the world today. Isn't that true? He says, however, what brings us together is regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our culture, regardless of our background, regardless of our tradition. If God gave Gentiles the gift of the Holy Spirit of God when they believed, and He gave Jews the gift of the Holy Spirit of God when they believed, we have more in common than we have in difference. And this verse, I think, is the key to understanding how the New Testament church was built in the first century.
1: You're listening to Back to the Bible. Today's study was recorded at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove in Asheville, North Carolina.
0: What is Peter teaching us here that is important for all of us to learn? Well, several things. Uh, Notice, I think, first of all, that God gave both Jews and Gentiles the same gift. There is not a Jewish Holy Spirit and a Gentile Holy Spirit. There's not a Holy Spirit for North America and a different one for South America. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And I think this shows that God is not a respecter of persons. He gives His Spirit to each of us alike. So number one, he is saying God gives Jews and Gentiles exactly the same Holy Spirit, the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I think this passage is teaching us that the gift that God gave both Jews and Gentiles is not the gift of tongues, it's not the gift of prophecy, it's not the gift of healing, it is the gift of God. And the gift of God is always described as the Holy Spirit of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. The fact you have the Holy Spirit of God residing into you comes entirely on the basis of the fact that you were saved. The same gift to all people alike The Holy Spirit is always depicted as God's gift to those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. So this gift that God gives us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, He guides us, He teaches us, He seals us, He leads us. And all the things you see the Holy Spirit of God doing in the life of a believer, He does in the lives of all believers. The gift of God enables us to wage victorious warfare against Satan. The gift of God enables us to understand the will of God. I only understand my Bible because the Spirit of God is my teacher. That's the gift that He gives to you and me alike. So when we think about the gift that God gives Jews and Gentiles, Peter is saying, hey, I have made a startling discovery with the life of Cornelius. God saves Jews and Gentiles exactly the same way, and He gives them exactly the same gift. And the gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. My observation is this, that the gift of the Holy Spirit of God is always represented in Scripture as coming simultaneously with salvation. Now, let me qualify that. When I say always, the only exception is the book of Acts. And you've heard me say it enough. We're in transition here. So there are people who are saved... And later on, they received the Holy Spirit of God. We saw that in a variety of ways. We saw it all the way back in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost came. These were believers before Pentecost, but they did not have the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus said, Acts 1.8, Wait here. I have something special coming. Not here yet. But you wait. Ten days later, Pentecost occurs. The Spirit of God comes to them. In Acts chapter 8... We have been through this chapter as well. The apostles at Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans believed. But after their belief, it took the disciples being there, laying hands on them for the Holy Spirit of God to come into their lives. Saul trusted Jesus as Savior, Acts chapter 9. But it was not until he got to Damascus that the Spirit of God came on Saul the Apostle. Acts chapter 10, when Peter was speaking to those who assembled with Cornelius, after they had believed, verse 44 of Acts 10 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. But here's what I want you to notice. After Acts 11, as you proceed through the rest of the book of Acts, and most especially after you get out of the transitional history of the book of Acts, you get to the epistles, starting with Romans, which is the very next book. Every time you see the gift of the Holy Spirit coming upon a believer, it is simultaneously with the faith of that believer in Jesus Christ. So the norm in the New Testament church is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit at some subsequent point to salvation. The norm in the New Testament church is being baptized by the Spirit of God at the moment of belief and not some subsequent time. He says so right here. Look again. Acts chapter 11, verse 17. If God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed, It's from this point on that you begin to see that the gift of the Holy Spirit comes simultaneously with belief. Prior to this, there are exceptions, and there are exceptions because of the transition of the book of Acts. After this, the norm is when I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I receive God's gift at that very moment, and that gift is the Spirit of God. So how does the crowd respond when they hear news like this? Well, let me wrap up with verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That is a serious admission for a Jewish person. God, I guess, I guess I'm learning that if a Gentile repents of his or her sin, that the grace of God can extend the Gentiles just like it does to the people of Abraham. Well, here's the PowerPoint from this passage. I think it's futile to argue with God. You know, we all try to do it, but it's just futile. I mean, first of all, God is far more logical, far more reasonable than we are. Don't ever try to argue with a logical person. Just, it doesn't work. Secondly, God is far wiser than we are. You know, you can't argue successfully with God thinking you're going to outwit him. And thirdly, God is sovereign and we are not. So why would we try to argue with God? Well, we, I guess because we're human. So let, let's follow Peter's example in this passage. Let's follow the example of others in Acts chapter 10 and 11. If God gives you more light from Scripture than you had in the past, in other words, you're reading the Word of God and you understand more than you understood before, don't stubbornly cling to what you believed before if now you understand better what you believed before. And, and for the sake of the Jewish people, What God was teaching them was, look, God is the God of all creatures, not just the God of the Jews. Don't stubbornly cling to what you believed, now that you understand. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life.
1: You're listening to Back to the Bible with Bible teacher Woodrow Kroll. I'm Tammy Weisert. So, Wood, how do we put our prejudice aside and demonstrate God being the God of all to those around us?
0: Well, I think a couple of things need to be said here, Tammy. First of all, uh, we have to admit that all of us have these little prejudices. For some, they're big things, and for others, they may just be small things. But then we have to recognize that those prejudices often keep us from being an effective witness, even an effective servant of the Lord. So we have to ask for God's grace in our lives to control those prejudices. And once we experience God's grace, I think then we need to pray for the Holy Spirit's power. Remember, without him you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.
1: Would I love it when I hear stories of God at work in the lives of our listeners. Now listen to this email. Your broadcast has been a blessing to me and has helped me to think about what the Lord has done in my life and other people's lives. I just want to thank you.
0: (laughs) Tammy, notice that this person is thinking about what the Lord has
1: done in his life. Yeah, and we hear the same theme in this one. It says... I listen to your broadcast almost every day before I go to work. It helps me immensely and gives me something to chew on all day.
0: (laughs) There again, the Holy Spirit is working on this person's heart throughout the day.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Now, how about one more email? Sure. Thank you for the wonderful free teaching you broadcast over the radio and web. I am learning so much, and I think your research and other programs are exactly what is needed to overcome the evil forces so active today. And would those evil forces are very
0: real. Yeah, They are, and that's why it's so urgent for us to reach people now through radio and with new Internet and mobile technologies, all of them free to the user. But that's only possible because of your financial partnership. Your support is vital. So please call today with a monthly or a one-time gift.
1: Now you can do that by calling us at 1-800-759-2425. Again, that's 1-800-759-2425. Thank you. One of the key words in this study has been power. So how will we see God's power in tomorrow's study?
0: Well, tomorrow, Tammy, we are going to see what I think is the ultimate evidence of the power of God. It is found in the power of preaching. Now, we've encountered Barnabas already in our study, but we're going to see more about his ministry tomorrow here on Back to the Bible. I hope you plan to join us to look at the power of preaching and the ministry both of Paul and of Barnabas. So keep listening and keep growing. I'm Woodrow Kroll. God bless you. Have a good and godly day. For of what lasting value is a good day if it's not also a godly day.
1: Today's program is furnished by Back to the Bible. Thank you for your support.